everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to 10, and 30-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of three books, The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a mom's heart. This is 31 days in God's word. That could make a really great stocking stuffer or gift from someone to a homeschooling mom, especially as we hit the new year and we kind of want to reset on our Bible reading. This is a 31-day devotional that can help moms do that. You can find those three books on Amazon. You can also find them at my website, dorendawilson.com. I am super grateful that you're here today, and I just have to tell you something really fun that happened this week. So we haven't quite made it to the book design yet for the new book that I'm publishing uh, very soon. It's coming out very soon, and it's a book on raising and homeschooling boys, and it's a simple, mercifully short book. But anyway, part of the process is you have to figure out what you want for a cover for the book. The other day, my daughter-in-law, who's a photographer, happened to get this really amazing picture of our grandson just from the back walking down a path and the colors and it was just beautiful and as I stared at this wonderful picture all of a sudden I thought to myself this would make an amazing book cover so I talked to my book designer and she was like we can use this and so I'm so excited about it I love that we can make this book so incredibly personable and I think you all are going to love it I am really excited to get encouragement into the hands of moms of boys. And so um, I'm looking forward to, to publishing that here soon. And I will be keeping you posted on what's going on with that. Actually, the best place to stay updated on what is going on with the book, when it's coming out, and also to participate in a bunch of giveaways that I'm going to do, including t-shirts that have the title of the book on it. And they're really, really cool. They're wonderful boy mom t-shirts. Um, and those will be, we'll, I'll be giving those away to email subscribers. So if you want to know everything that's going on with this new book and uh, have a chance to win some of these things, please just sign up uh, as a subscriber to my uh, blog podcast. Um, I don't know, even know what you call it, to my website. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, you just go to the website, dorendawilson.com, and you can fill in the little uh, thing there. And I only send out maybe once a month, I send out a letter of encouragement and uh, just some updates on the podcast and all of that. So I won't overfill your email box, uh, but you might be getting a few extra as we get closer to the book launch. Anyway, I hope you'll participate in that. I'd love to have you there. I also occasionally do a Zoom meeting with my email subscribers in person to answer questions and all of that. So, all right, here we go. I have to share with you um, a college that I absolutely love. You guys know I'm not a big fan of spending a bunch of money to go to college, and I'm really not a fan of secular colleges and all of that. But I had Excel College on my website a while back, and I'll tell you what, I love what they're doing over at Excel. Um, and you know, we're all aware that the world is noisier than it's ever been before, crammed full of information, opinions, and claims about what's true. The need for our teenagers to be able to think critically is at an all-time high, but the unfortunate reality is that critical thinking skills amongst teens and young adults are at an all-time low. 
So my friends at Excel College, they are passionate about reversing those statistics and they're doing something about it. Excel College hosts a summer leadership camp where young leaders learn to discover God's truth, discern wisely and live wholeheartedly and have fun doing it. With thrilling adventures like camping, rock climbing, and whitewater rafting, and expert training and certifications in categories from CPR to wilderness first aid, your teen will have the experience of a lifetime as they adventure into truth. Apply now at theexcelcamp.org and select Dorenda Wilson for $100 off the camp. I will leave a link in the show notes and a reminder of what to select when you go there. So I thought that today um, it would be fitting to talk about the Christmas story, but from a little different perspective. So I decided we would focus on getting a bird's eye view of Mary's presence in scripture throughout the life of Jesus. So where is Mary documented in the New Testament? Because I think that's... um, there's some there's an important reason that we might want to just focus on that um, briefly because I think uh, everything God does is for a reason. But before I dive into that, I want to let you know that if you're looking for a great math program, CTC Math provides online video tutorials that make learning math easy and effective by using creative graphics and animation that are sure to grab and keep your child's attention. Here's a great testimonial from Lori. She said this, one day my 10-year-old was in tears over math. I tried my best to help, but ended up in tears as well. Who hasn't been there, right? We prayed together, and that very night I received an email offer for CTC Math. The following Monday, we reviewed the curriculum together. She was willing to give it a shot, and we have never looked back. Moms, I encourage you to start your free trial today by visiting ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. So again, I thought it would be beneficial to read through the passages where Jesus' mother, Mary, was present because I think there are some truths that we can learn from her. So we know that scripture is God-breathed, so we know that every mention of Mary is significant, which makes it worth taking some time to review, study, and ponder on what we find there. So today I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture. So if you have the opportunity to be able to just maybe sit in a quiet place, maybe go out in your car or your walk-in closet and can potentially listen and think about these passages um, from Mary's perspective, it could be really, really beneficial. And then also as I have read through these scriptures and these these times when Mary has shown up on the scene, I leaned into my study Bible for helps uh, to help uh, create this episode. I use the Reformation Study Bible by R.C. Sproul. I highly recommend that as well as the Matthew Henry commentary. So those are both a couple of my favorites for really being able to dive in and um, find some nuggets when it comes to reading these passages. So let's go ahead and dive in by starting with the conception of Jesus. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And as we look back over this passage, I think the thing that stands out to me is how she was troubled at the beginning and trying to discern what was happening. And you think about this, as it, from what I know about Mary, I uh, believe she was about 14 years old, which was not an unusual age for someone to be betrothed to be married. Um, and so this was just something that I think she was trying to discern what it was, who it was, what kind of message this was. And when she discerned that it was of the Lord, she immediately yielded to it. And I just think that's such an example to us. And as after that happened, she actually arose and went with haste to the hill country um, to the town of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And what I love about that particular passage is the confirmation and affirmation that Mary received from Elizabeth um, through things that uh, wouldn't normally happen. A baby leaping in a womb when she when when the announcement has been made. And the we all know that the baby in the womb was John who uh basically paved the way for Jesus' ministry. And so there's a whole lot happening there, but I love the um, interaction of these two women. And one thing that R.C. Sproul said about Elizabeth, Elizabeth's words is that she articulates in humble wonder the true identity of Mary's unborn son and pays tribute to Mary's faith. What an encouragement that must have been to Mary. Then Mary went on to sing a song of praise, and it's typically known as the Magnificat. And this is what she said. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
And I love the notes that R.C. Sproul wrote on this. He said, this song of praise called the Magnificat is revolutionary in its concern for the poor and despised of the world and its rejection of the rich and proud. Its focus is on the God who is about to intervene in power without regard for sinful humanity's social order. We know in that culture, there was a huge, uh, almost like a caste system going on there. And when someone was in power, the people underneath were virtually helpless and ever moving up or changing their lot in life. And and Jesus coming is literally exploding that. Um, It's imploding that, that social order. R.C. goes on to say, it anticipates the preaching of her son Jesus later in this gospel. These acts of God are not necessarily or only in the past. The fact that God has chosen her in in insignificant Nazareth of Galilee to bear and raise his son shows that the world system exemplified in Herod's ruthless rule is giving way to God's endless kingdom. So Mary rejects accepted ideas of privilege for the rich and as she speaks of what God will do for the poor. And you know what, moms, the same is true today. The message is is the same. God rules and his kingdom is opposite to the world's perspective. Jesus' kingdom is advancing and he is using those the world would never guess to do this. And I strongly believe that he uses godly biblical families powerfully in this particular way and for this particular mission. It's hard to believe that when you're just addressing and you seem like you're doing uh, things that are mundane from day to day. But again, His kingdom is the opposite to what the world calls important. So he is there in the mundane and he is working in and through the mundane. So God uses those the world would never guess to advance his kingdom. And the verse that verse, the passage that came to mind was 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. According to worldly standards, not many of you were powerful or of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I love that passage because he's saying, God chose what the world considers foolish. And what does the world think of stay-at-home moms and families who homeschool? Yeah, the world thinks it's pretty foolish, But moms, this is exactly what God uses to change the world. Now we're going to go to Luke 2, um, when Jesus was born. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, 
to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We don't know why there was no room, whether it's because there were so many people there who were registering or whether the innkeeper just innkeepers did not want to house them. Um, I don't know, but I do know that's a very humble situation. And um, Mary had to walk that out. So she had this baby in, uh, in essentially a barn and... The scripture goes on to talk about the shepherds and the angels. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So let's reflect on that verse, Mary treasuring up all of these things and pondering them in her heart. Matthew Henry had this to say about that verse. He said, the Virgin Mary made these things a matter of her private meditation. I think about the fact that Mary was content with obscurity. So Matthew Henry goes on to say, she laid the evidences together and kept them in reserve to be compared with the discoveries that she would make um, afterwards as she had silently left it to God to clean up her virtue when that was suspected. So she silently leaves it to him to publish her honor now when it was veiled. And it is satisfaction enough to find that if no one else takes notice of the birth of her child, angels do. He says, to take note, the truths of Christ are worth keeping and the way to keep them safe is to ponder them. And I love that. It's such an encouragement to ponder the truths of God and to be content with God uh, being our defender, with leaving certain things, just leaving them with him. And not being afraid of obscurity, not having to always be heard, but being willing to just be still and know that he is God. The next story is when Jesus was uh, presented at the temple. And it says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So a firstborn. And to offer 
a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I'm going to guess that he that prophecy is about the fact that she would actually um, be present when um, at the crucifixion when Jesus was crucified, and we'll get there in just a minute. There was also a prophetess who prophesied over Jesus and um, began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay, so this was kind of interesting. So when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, Mary and Joseph returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Okay, so also during that time, um, that's when the Magi came. A lot of times you see the Magi as part of the, the stable setting. They were not at the stable. Um, they visited Jesus at his home. And um, according to the scriptures, he was approximately two years old when this happened. Um, but they visited because um, King Herod had heard that uh, Jesus had been born and he wanted to know where he was. Um, and... Uh, so it says here, so the Magi had from the east came to Jerusalem. Oh, they asked, sorry, they asked him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so then King Herod is getting the news at that moment that Jesus has been born and he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this was what the prophet ha had written. And then they went on to um, repeat the scripture from the Old Testament that said where he was going to be born. And then the Herod, of course, called the Magi secretly, found out from the, them the exact time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem. And he made the claim that he wanted them to go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as he, they found them to report to him so that he could also go and worship him. But that was not at all what his intention was. Um, but these magi went ahead and left. They went on their way. It took them up to two years to find him. And... They finally were able to, it says, after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so you can see just God's hand rerouting uh, the Magi so that Herod would not know where Jesus was. Um, But after they left, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay uh, there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Out of Egypt, I called my son. You can just see all these prophecies unfolding and I can't help but wonder if Mary knew these prophecies and was was identifying them for what they really were. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then of course that awful prophecy from Jeremiah was fulfilled that says a voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. All right, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him once again, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. And again, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. You can just see God's just sovereign hand just completely coordinating all of this. And then it jumps ahead to the boy Jesus in the temple. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand what he was, that the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I find it interesting that that line is there again. She didn't fully understand everything that was happening in that moment, but she was letting it sit there before the Lord. And then Jesus continued to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But I find it interesting. R.C. Sproul had this to say about this whole uh, temple setting and what happened with Jesus staying behind. Um, There was reproach in Mary's words, but already at 12 years old, Jesus is conscious of a special relationship with his heavenly father. The Jews do not customarily speak in this way, but Jesus' gentle reminder respectfully invites his mother to recognize that their parental claims are subordinate to those of the father. And I just think how that's true for our children. Um, Our children don't have the mission that Jesus did. They don't have the the task that Jesus had, but they do have um, 
they do belong to the Lord, and he does have a special call on their lives for certain things. And it's hard to imagine when your children are small, um, letting go of them and seeing them fulfill that mission. But the time does come, and the understanding comes, and the grace comes as well. But I love the fact that Jesus was so tender with his mother, and he was still respectful. And when they told him to still come, he came. So R.C. Um, R.C. Sproul had this to say about, um, I'm sorry, it was Matthew Henry had this to say about her tre- Mary treasuring up all these things in her heart again. He said that his mother, though she did not perfectly understand her son's saying, yet she kept them in her heart, expecting that later on they would be explained to her and she should fully understand them and know how to make use of them. It's a wise that there's a lot of wisdom there. There are times we don't understand exactly what what's going on. Um, and sometimes we have to just step back and just, especially when we know that God is doing something and we even though we don't understand it, we can step back and just let it be, just let it marinate there and trust that God is gonna bring understanding down the road. Okay, the next scene that Mary comes onto where Jesus is present is the wedding at Cana, which is the first miracle that Jesus performed. So on the third day, this is in John 2, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so then it went on to, he went on to perform the miracle. But this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so in my study Bible, the Reformation study Bible, um, there's an explanation of Jesus' response to his mother. So when Jesus uses the phrase woman, it is actually a respectful way of addressing a woman within that culture and is the way that Jesus normally addresses women. So this wasn't like, you know, our culture, it's like woman, you know, get my shoes, woman, do this. That's not at all what was happening in that particular scene. Um, Jesus doesn't respond to his mother because she is his mother, but he responds as part of his work as the Messiah. Her special relationship um, as Jesus' mother gives her no authority to intervene in Christ's messianic career. I think that's very, very important to note. She understood that it wasn't her job to interfere. You know, she did ask him to do something, but she wasn't interfering. Um, but, and you'll notice that she accepts Jesus' clarification of their relationship. In other words, she respects that he is a man and she isn't trying to mother him and demand her way. And she also understands that his response indicates that even though he asked why she involved him in the situation, he's still willing to meet the immediate need. And I love that. Just shows such a heart, um, such an incredible heart that Jesus has. And finally... Um, at the crucifixion. Uh, This is what it has to say in Matthew 27. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him 
keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, also the mother of Jesus, um, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So I can't even imagine what it was like for Mary to watch the crucifixion of Jesus. And I wonder if she was thinking about his boyhood, recalling those memories and the times that they spent together, even knowing that this is what Jesus came for, cannot have alleviated the pain and the sorrow that she felt. She could have not showed up at all, right? Uh, Just saying, "I, I can't bear this, I'm unable to bear it. And yet she was there. She was present in the most painful moment of Jesus' life. You guys, this is what a mother does. She lays down her comfort to be present in her son's pain. And I just find that such an amazing example. Finally, the final um, presence of Mary that we find in the scripture, I just find this so fascinating fascinating is at Pentecost, okay? So Acts 1, 13, 12 to uh, 14 says, when they, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I just love this because this is such a wonderful picture of Mary having the privilege of witnessing the life and ministry of Jesus all the way through to the victorious end. She's been, she's able to watch, to witness the birth of the New Testament church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who is now here, present with us permanently to be our helper, our comfort, our guide, and our counselor. And I can't help but think that all those times where she took the things that were said that she didn't understand, pondered them in her heart, that all of the dots connected at this point in time. So I'm just thankful that we have God's word um, to do things like this, to get this flyover of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so I hope this was an encouragement to you today. Um, In the next episode, I'm actually going to be talking about what we ended on. And this is uh, the part where the, the, the Holy Spirit was sent After Jesus left, the Holy Spirit was sent to be our helper, our comforter, our guide, and our counselor. And that was something that was not available to God's people before that. So we're going to be talking about Emmanuel, God with us, and why it matters. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the example that Mary set for us as moms. I thank you for the way that she just is weaved throughout the New Testament at at these different moments in the life of Jesus that allows us just a bird's eye view of her heart for you and her heart for Jesus. And just the the amazing privilege and honor that you gave her as his mom. I can't help but think you have a very special place in your heart for all moms. So thank you for this encouragement today and thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen.